Fishing Podcast listeners, uh, Kevin Eva, the chief of the journal, coming to you today from a bright, sunny day in southern Ontario, where I'm traveling for the week, but I'm very much eager to interrupt my travels for just a little bit because I've got a wonderful opportunity to speak with Victoria Luong, who's a research associate in the Department of Continuing Professional Development at Dalhousie University on the east coast of Canada. And we'll be talking about a paper that Victoria and her colleagues have coming out in the August 2022 issue of Medical Education, entitled A Phenomenological Study of the Impact of COVID-19 on the Medical Education Community. Victoria, thanks for taking the time. I know you'd rather be out on your boat at the moment, as I'm sure many people would, but I'm looking forward to the chance to talk with you. Yeah, no, thank you so much. It's really an honor to talk to you. This paper, I'll just read the title again, A Phenomenological Study of the Impact of COVID-19 on the Medical Education Community, in title sounds very much like uh, countless submissions that we've received since the pandemic hit and started to impact upon everyone. But it was very unique, and it's one of the few of the papers with titles like that that we've actually had successfully passed through the peer review process. And the uniqueness for me was the depth that you went into trying to genuinely understand what people were grappling with. Can you maybe just start off by explaining what took you the phenomenological route. I want to ask you what motivated the study of COVID, because of course it's on everybody's mind still, but what led you to the approach that you adopted? Yeah, this study was really, Sarah Byrne was the person who really got the project going. So I won't pretend that I chose phenomenology myself, but with that said, I think it's a perfect way to delve into our experiences. And you're probably the best person to know about this, but in the beginning of the pandemic, we started in April, 2020, our project. And a lot of studies that were coming out at that time were a lot of you know perspective articles and editorials and people you know, teachers, learners, researchers, physicians, really trying to get their stories up there and talk about their struggles and their challenges. So we saw this desire to talk about what's happening and to relate to each other's struggles and to learn from each other's experiences. And so phenomenology being the study of lived experience seemed like a really good fit for that project. And so that's why I was really interested in doing this project and bringing things forward. As you mentioned, there have been a lot of studies about COVID coming up. People are really interested in studying this topic. But for our study, we really, as you said, wanted to delve deeply and try to theorize and find an interpretation of what is happening. So that's what we did for this project. And you also conducted a unique study in the sense of the breadth of people who you interacted with to try to get that interpretive understanding as well. So so trainees and physicians and grant students and PhD scientists spread across three different countries, Canada, US and Switzerland. What led you to adopt such a heterogeneous sample as opposed to doing something that would be more typical of focusing on your own local students? Yeah, no, for sure. I think what we found most interesting about this COVID phenomenon is that often, you know, Learners are dealing with their own difficulties. Teachers, physicians are dealing with their own challenges. But what's so unique about the COVID experience is that we're all in the same boat. We're all going through kind of variations of the same thing, really. And we wanted to capture, okay, what are we all living through in this moment? And that's what we hope to capture with our interpretation of the experience. 
that's one of the things. So as you probably know, and a lot of quality researchers probably know we can get when we have a lot of data, especially from people from varied backgrounds and varied experiences and situations, it's difficult to analyze that data that is so wide ranging. And when we found this grief relief and opportunity piece, especially this theory from Radcliffe, the indeterminacy piece, it really helped us to better understand what we are experiencing as a whole. And so, yeah, to return to your question, we were interested in studying the phenomenon as a whole in the entire medical education community, rather than focusing on one specific group, which led to deeper understanding of the phenomenon of undergoing drastic change in general. Well, and just before getting into the Radcliffe or the sort of findings, you mentioned having a lot of data, and I can only imagine how much you had given that you looked at reflexive writing and team meetings and, again, a unique array of data sources. Can you share some of those details with our listeners and offer some insight as to how you combined it all together? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a very important piece of our research as well, I think. So we did our interviews with the people from different spheres of medical education, but we also had multiple team meetings with our team, which in itself was very diverse. So we had learners, we had PhD, master's students, we had researchers and physicians. And so we could then reflect on our own experiences and have these serial meetings where we can talk about the data and our analysis of the data and also go off on our own and have these reflections because we ourselves are going through the experience at exactly the same time as everyone we're interviewing is going through the experience. So that was a really important piece as well. Mm -hmm. So Again, in the spirit of reflexivity, I'm sure this was particularly challenging given that you were you know, living the same experience as you said. What did the team do to try to bracket or set aside their own preconceptions? We had a lot of conversations working through disagreements and varied experiences because one of the things we found in this research is coming back to the grief and relief piece, a lot of people were finding these changes very, very challenging. And they missed a lot of the aspects of their lives that they used to have. But other people, and maybe in the same person, but at different times, were experiencing these moments of relief where they're, where they're happy about these changes. And in having these conversations and trying to maybe not necessarily bracket our experiences, but draw on our experiences and to make sense of them. We had these discussions to work through those because we, again, as students, as teachers, or as physicians, we all experienced COVID differently, but in analyzing how we went through those experiences differently, came to this understanding of what all of those things had in common. Well, and that leads me to want to ask you to elaborate a bit on Ratcliffe's model. You, you mentioned a couple of key things there. I think one is that the observations you were making, you interpreted and conceptualized as grief. But then intriguing was where you identified that many of those experiences felt conflicting, the relief that you mentioned that came along with that. Can you just explain what led you to that claim of contradictions and why Ratcliffe's model seemed like the right framing for what you observed? Right. Yeah. So grief always stood out as being something that was very universal in participants' interviews but not necessarily the grief as sometimes we conceptualize it. So we think about the five stages of grief, five steps, or we think of grief as an emotion. So people get 
angry, people get depressed, people express these emotions. But really, the way Radcliffe defines grief is it's really this long term process of learning to comprehend and negotiate a large disturbance in one's world and the new absence of certain life possibilities. So not necessarily one emotion or one series of emotions, but it's this process of learning to recognize that there has been this all enveloping and dynamic disturbance of our life possibilities. And he talks about these ideas about determinacy and indeterminacy. So determinacy being the idea that as we go through our normal lives in the day-to-day, we do most things without even thinking about it. And we set up our lives and function of how people normally set up their lives in this very taken-for-granted way. And it's sort of this pre-reflexive way of being in the world. And it's not a bad thing. So these structures help us make sense of the world and so that we're not constantly overtaken by this daunting feeling of uncertainty all the time. But as Ratcliffe writes, sudden loss, so not necessarily of a person or how we interpreted it, not necessarily of a person, but in the loss of some things, our life structures of how we are normally accustomed to live our lives can launch us into this feeling of indeterminacy. So we lost this sense of familiarity and routine that helps us make sense of the patterns of everyday life. And so that's what really drew me to Radcliffe's work because it felt like that was really the piece that helped define what everybody was going through. We were all suddenly stuck in this world where we no longer had a clear sense of where things are going. We had a lot of feelings of uncertainty and it compromised the intelligibility of the world and this comforting sense that we understand how the world works. And so grief came out as a really important aspect of our data. However, as you said, it was conflicting because we saw these moments where a lot of people were actually experiencing relief. So people had grief about a lot of things. They were grieving their own structures and boundaries. They were grieving the idea of having this physical boundary between work and home. They were grieving all of the things that they had to cancel because of restrictions and the relationships they'd had in their lives. But in another way, they were actually feeling relief because they suddenly had, maybe they had more time because there were cancellations, but also they had more flexibility around their time. So they had moments where they can incorporate wellness activities. A lot of people started doing yoga, going for walks, and just sitting and reflecting on how they wanted to set up their work lives. That's the piece that we found conflicting within the grief and relief. But both of those relate very well to indeterminacy because indeterminacy, we can see it as a bad thing because we have a lot of grief around the sense of familiarity and routine that we've lost. But there are also a lot of things that we can gain through that. And so these conflicting experiences between grief and relief really led to our third theme, which was opportunity for transformation, because it's through these dismantling of our normal habitual routines that we are able to imagine a different way of living. So that's a brief summary of what we found in our research. You know, that's great. And so let me sort of move towards wrapping up by just asking you what comes of this. You used the very compelling phrase that people were relearning their world and other terms like readjustment and changing of expectations. And as the pandemic settles into a phase of waves rather than sort of that that consistent state of concern that we were all hit with very quickly, 
How do your data or Radcliffe's model help us to think about supporting people as presumably that relearning is going to continue for quite some time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really important piece. And I'm not pretending that I have all the answers and I know how everything should be changed, but I think it really it really takes a huge event because it's so easy to live our lives in the day-to-day and not either not question or feel helpless. This is just how the world works and I can't do anything about it. But it really takes this global disruptive event to not give us a blank slate, but almost to reimagine how we really want to live our lives. And I would say the biggest thing that people wanted in our research was probably flexibility and autonomy. And they really, in some ways, appreciated the disruption to these predefined structures and schedules of how work is supposed to take place and to have the ability to control their own lives. Because people have children, people have other responsibilities. There are people who work really well in the morning, people who work really well in the evening, And people just wanted to be trusted, their own autonomy, and to set up their lives in ways that work for them. So this is not something we talked about in our study, but I've seen other studies afterwards that have talked about flexibility and how people with disabilities, for example, in medical education, that's the one thing that they really ask for is flexibility. And so after we move into sort of a new normal, I think it'll be important to continue having those conversations about what would really make people's lives better. And I think before this, we might have thought, yeah, that would be great. But, you know, this is just how things work. And it's hard to change those things. But now I think there's this newfound openness to maybe we can do that. And maybe this isn't such an idea that's so out of what we were capable of doing, because I don't think anyone thought that we'd be working from home so much and doing what we do now. So I think people are ready to have those conversations. And I think it'll be important to continue having them, even when we've returned to a somewhat normal life. And especially, I suppose, if that new normal is absence of normality. Yeah. It sounds like using Radcliffe's terms, we may be in for a much more permanent state of indeterminacy than just having to be flexible as you described. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. And there's a lot more in this article than we can possibly do justice in the short time period. But I think you've done an amazing job of sharing some deep and extensive information very briefly. So thank you for that. Those who do want more details, I'll just remind them that the paper we've been discussing is authored by Victoria Luong, titled A Phenomenological Study of the Impact of COVID-19 on the Medical Education Community. And you'll find it in the August 2022 issue of Medical Education. Thanks again, Victoria. Good luck with your work and everything else. And you're finding your own new state of normal, so to speak. And we look forward to hearing what comes next from your group. For sure. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. 